Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for this episode of ASHP's podcast on medication safety, the podcast where we discuss current trends in medication safety, regulatory issues, and best practices that improve patient care. My name is Kathy Gomeshi, and today we will be chatting with Rosemary Duncan, Medication Safety Officer at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, and Rita Jew, President of Institute for Safe Medication Practices in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania, about safe medication management in patients with allergies and intolerance to medication excipients. Given the current regulatory and technological limitations with identifying excipients, it's challenging to safely care for these patients and prevent adverse drug events. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Kathy. Yes, thanks, Kathy. I'm glad to be here. To kick us off, my first question is, what do we mean by medication excipients? So medication excipients are, I often think of them as inactive ingredients, but really they're any additives other than the active drug ingredient that's used in the manufacturing of a medication. So things like color additives, preservatives, surfactants, binders, et cetera. These are often thought of as proprietary blends. So it's a combination of both the active ingredient plus all of these excipients or inactive ingredients. Thanks, Rosemary. What are the medication safety concerns associated with medication excipients? Similar to safety concerns you have with active drug ingredients, you're thinking about allergies, intolerances, but there are some specific things you might think about like fetal catenaria or seizure disorders that could occur and lead someone to be on a ketogenic diet. But certainly there's also religious or cultural restrictions that come into play. So animal byproducts that are contained in drugs may not be appropriate for certain patients based on their own needs or desires. And then age-related restrictions as well, thinking about infants primarily, so sodium benzoate and benzyl alcohol, for example. I totally agree, Rosemary, that the age-related restrictions, especially for us pediatric practitioners, there are definitely inactive ingredients folks don't think too much about in the adult world that we would have to consider like what you've talked about in a different age range population. Yeah, those are great points that might not readily come to mind. What are the primary challenges with safe medication management in patients who have allergies or intolerances to excipients? I think this is really one of the primary reasons we wanted to have this podcast is that it can be very difficult to safely manage medications for patients that have allergies or intolerances to incipients. Just a lot of operational challenges that are due both to regulatory and technological gaps. And so we'd like to really just kind of go over those and hopefully just raise awareness to those and and have a discussion on how we could improve practice to prevent errors or adverse events with inpatients who have these allergies or intolerances. So what are some of those regulatory gaps? Well, let me take this on. I think the ISMP has published about these regulatory gaps in the June 2021 newsletter. And in there, what we really started to uncover with our conversation with the FDA is that, first of all, the regulation of what needs to be disclosed and what does not need to be disclosed in packaging or labeling is very confusing. But I think a few big things everyone needs to know is First of all, manufacturers are not required to publicly disclose all excipients used in their products. And as Rosemary has referred to as previously, they are considered a proprietary blend. 
And that's where when you call the manufacturers, they will tell you, well, you know, because this is part of their formulation, they don't necessarily need to disclose anything to you. The other thing to know is that manufacturers are not required to notify anyone when there's a change in the excipients. And then there is these side regulations, for example, for prescription medications for oral use. Manufacturers are really not required to list all of the inactive ingredients in the product labeling, all in the immediate container label, all in the outer wrapping, all in the packages. None of that. They're really not required to list any of the inactive ingredients. And then there is also FDA regulations that require certain inactive ingredients, particularly those that are likely to be allergens, to be disclosed. And so there's specific regulations that says that the label for OTC products administered orally, nasally, rectally, or vaginally that contains FDC yellow number six must declare its presence using the name FDC yellow number six. Also, the labeling of both OTC and prescription drug products containing FDC yellow number six must be declared. So there is some very specific requirements. But interestingly, this specific requirement for FDC yellow number six labeling was for both OTC and prescription products was suspended in 1988 pending further agency action. And as far as we can find, there's no further agency action on that while still some manufacturers were complying with that. And then for over-the-counter medications, including varying strains, concentrations, volumes of drugs like acetaminophen or ibuprofen, the regulations require the listing of each inactive ingredients in the drug facts section on the outside container or the wrapper of the retail packaging or the immediate container. Because of all these really confusing regulations, it is really hard for folks to know when these inactive ingredients would be listed on the packaging and when it's not. Well, the good news is a lot of manufacturers do list the inactive ingredients somewhere in the packaging or the package insert, but it is definitely not consistent and trying to understand all of the regulations is very... Thanks, Rita. That does sound like a challenge. What about some of the technological gaps? Well, as Rita said, because there's not a requirement to list out all of these excipients or inactive ingredients, the drug databases, which populate our electronic health records, so examples like First Data Bank or Multum, they cannot and do not carry a comprehensive or accurate list of excipients for each drug product. What this means is that electronic health records that pull from these databases cannot accurately alert clinicians when a patient has an excipient allergy. So you could document the excipient allergy on the patient's chart, but then when you're placing an order for a medication that may have that excipient, you might not actually get an alert. Or you may get an alert, but it's inaccurate. So excipients are usually specific to the national drug code of a drug, so the NDC of a drug. But you could dispense several NDCs of that particular medication, and the alerts could fire incorrectly. So they're firing for an NDC that you're not actually going to dispense, for example. So then that could result in alert fatigue, overriding alerts just due to inaccuracy, and just general confusion about whether or not the product in question can be dispensed or not. And then certainly, even if you had all this accurate information in these databases, and 
attempt to fire accurate alerts, the excipients can change at any time. And since the manufacturer isn't required to notify anyone, the drug databases may not be updated timely. So then you actually have product that maybe you can dispense or cannot dispense, but you're again being falsely alerted. Wow. Given these regulatory and technological gaps, what operational challenges exist? Well, I think because there's a lack of accurate electronic allergy alerts, it makes it more difficult to identify patients who may in fact have an allergy to an excipient. Certainly you try to practice, get a list of all the allergies for the patient, document them in the EHR, but you may not be thinking about excipient type allergies. And so you may not even be documenting them. So you may not be able to easily identify patients with them. And then Again, no electronic alerting means manually checking all the inactive ingredients for each medication a patient receives, which is incredibly challenging. It's inefficient. You'd likely have to change how you're labeling, reroute orders so that potentially they don't dispense from automated dispensing cabinets, but instead are all manually dispensed from a pharmacy. And certainly that's really prone to error. Like you're relying on staff to do a manual process that they normally would have automated. I think other things that institutions have tried and are also difficult to maintain are just keeping track of what inactive ingredients actually are in particular medications. So having a maybe a paper or electronic reference document that you can look at. But again, because a manufacturer can change the combination of inactive ingredients in their products, you would have to continuously update these references over time. So, you know, who does that? How do they do that? How is it accessible to all staff? And then I mentioned the automated dispensing cabinets and just having several NDCs or manufacturers of the same drug being dispensed. So if you were to rely on automated dispensing cabinets for primary drug distribution, these dispenses bypass pharmacist product check. So a pharmacist verifies the order, order links to the ADC, and then the nurse can vend from the ADC. You wouldn't actually have another staff member pharmacist checking that specific NDC vended from the ADC does not in fact contain the inactive ingredients or excipients that the patient may be allergic to. So just operationally, it can be very difficult to find manual ways to address all of these issues. And I don't think it's really feasible to be able to do that. Thanks, Rosemary. Yeah, those sound like a lot of operational challenges. I'll just share that we recently had a patient who had a yellow dye allergy, and we faced some of these barriers both regulatory, technological, and operational, you mentioned, because there wasn't a clear and consistent way to identify if the products we were dispensing affected this patient. It was really after the fact to see if the pill was yellow, green, orange, or a color that may potentially carry yellow dye, which is not 100% consistent. Yeah, I so agree with you. Kathy and Rosemary, I know, I still remember as one of the biggest challenge we have as we were implementing ketogenic diet on our seizure patients, where literally every single time when we're dispensing medications, we have to recheck with the manufacturer. I mean, we have to compile a whole database of all of the inactive ingredients of the list of medications that we know that these ketogenic diet patients are taking is literally every time when a patient gets started, we do our research and then we compile the database. But then even with the database, every time you have a new patient on the medication, you reconfirm that with the manufacturer because you never know when this might change. And the unfortunate thing is with patients on ketogenic diet, a little bit of carbohydrate in their tablets or capsules can push them over 
um, the ketotic stage and get them into having more seizure activity. So this is definitely some safety issues and a huge challenge to overcome. Thanks, Rita. Those are great points. It seems the ideal solution is for the FDA to require manufacturers to publicly disclose all medication excipients, or at least those that are known to be common allergens. And for that information to be readily available and completely available in electronic drug databases, are either of you aware of any regulatory efforts to make these changes? I'm definitely not aware of any regulatory efforts for the FDA, but I will still reiterate that there's two big changes that needs to happen. First of all, FDA should really require manufacturers to publicly disclose all medication excipients, especially some of the common allergens, and then also requiring manufacturers to publicly disclose when there's a change in the medication excipients. That way, that's the only way, as Rosemary has said, no one can create an accurate database when there is no disclosure from the manufacturer or if there's no disclosure every time a medication excipient is changed. So until then, it's going to be a hit and miss, unfortunately. Now, it is also a shame because looking back as we were preparing for this podcast, as early as 2002, ASHP, the Council on Therapeutics, has a policy on excipients in drug products. Calls for exactly what we're talking about is to encourage manufacturers to publicly disclose all of the excipients in drug products and also advocating for the FDA to require that. And then it's only then that you can advocate for vendors of medication-related database to incorporate all of these information in their database. Given the current state, what best practices do you recommend? Well, I think like all patients, we need to ensure patients are screened for allergies, and this includes inactive ingredient allergies. So being very mindful of what those excipients may be and asking directly about them. So dyes, for example, any kind of cultural or religious restrictions, and then documenting them in the chart. So even if alerts currently may not fire accurately, the only way to transparently share this with all staff members is to put it in the electronic health record. Well, it would be great if alerts did fire, you could create some custom warning systems to maybe flag for those patients that have inactive ingredient allergies. So in a way that it would prompt uh, pharmacists, for example, but even potentially ordering prescribers or nurses on administration that a particular medication should be reviewed. I definitely think that the flag was helpful because again, back to the ketogenic diet example, we ended up pushing out a flag every time when a ketogenic diet patient is like a new medication is ordered to put out a flag and say, hey, this patient is on ketogenic diet. It's just really to stop someone and go investigate the next order that you are verifying to make sure that everything is good to go, that there is no dye allergy or carbohydrate in the ketogenic in a tablet or capsule for ketogenic diet patient. That actually worked out very nicely for us to stop a pharmacist and get them to investigate further because you can't, as you're reviewing all these orders, you can't remember that so-and-so is on ketogenic diet or so-and-so has a diet allergy, for example. So it's almost like every single time you have to present the flag, it could lead to alert fatigue, but in this case, actually it has worked out very nicely. 
Yeah, I do think there's ways to build in some custom alerting for those scenarios, especially because you can identify the content of some medications, like for example, like dextrose and, and for ketogenic diet patients and things. But when we get into, I guess, the nitty gritty excipients, it can be a little harder, but I agree with flags just to raise awareness. And certainly if putting some warning messages on labels, because then if you are dispensing directly from the pharmacy versus an automated dispensing cabinet, maybe another way for staff to reassess like, oh, I have to do an extra step for this patient. We do have something like that in our institution that we use. And then if you're using any kind of technology for dispensing, like you're scanning the product against the order before it leaves the pharmacy or before it leaves, you know, a carousel, for example, you could also put some visual reminders in those systems as well to create flags and banners. I think globally can make an effort to stock dye-free medications. So we wouldn't run into as many issues with patients with true dye allergies. Although one of the strategies we've used, for example, is try to stock all dye-free, at least some of the common dyes that causes allergies that you try to stock the dye-free medications. But for example, again, taking from our ketogenic diet experience is we literally, like for certain multivitamins, for example, we ended up just stocking the multivitamins that has the lowest carbohydrate content for the entire hospital. So no one has really stopped and worry about which one has the lowest content. So for specific medications where you know is more pertinent to these population where your hospital is serving, you may just want to choose to go to that the safest choice rather than stocking multiple versions of the medications and having people to choose that. That would be one safety mechanism. ISMP's perspective, we always kind of advocate for if you would have a standard way, for example, to script and ask the question about allergies versus intolerance and making sure that we have the right place to document the difference between allergies and intolerance. That would be the best thing to do. And scripting that into part of the process. So it's a standardized way that every time Everyone is asking the question, they're saying it in the same way that will help with identifying these intolerances or allergies. And I think the last thing I would add on to say is then when in doubt, just dig deeper into that. When you have a patient with certain kind of allergies and we're presented with medications, we literally sometimes have to be detectives. And I know most pharmacists are really good detectives in reading into, you know, what section, because information of some of the dyes could definitely be in different sections of the packaging description. It could be in the precaution. It could be in the drug facts label in the OTC medications. It could just be anywhere. So when in doubt, it's just kind of, you have to sift through all the information. And then ultimately, the only advice I would give is to call the manufacturer to confirm if in doubt, if you can't find the information in your gut that something might not be right for this patient is probably the case and call the manufacturer and try to identify if there's additional color additives that might not be any of the printed materials. So you see the patient has a red dye allergy and you clearly see the red lit solution. That's probably time to call if you can't find any information. I think, you know, we'd probably be remiss if we didn't just plug that regardless, you should always have anaphylaxis medications readily available for really all patients, but certainly to be very mindful of this with patients who have allergies to inactive ingredients or medication excipients, you may not actually know if they receive one of them. So 
to have on demand and be ready. Totally agree. This conversation reminds me of other complicated allergies you might see, Rita, when you mentioned we have to sort of be detectives. Sometimes we'll see a patient who has a latex allergy, and then that's more so for a practitioner wearing latex-free gloves, but we'll occasionally see that latex rubber vial stopper show as an inactive ingredient and have to kind of assess and confirm if it is appropriate to proceed or not. So we're sort of having to do the sleuth work in real time. Yeah, thankfully, we have solved a lot of the issues with latex allergies, I have to say, over the last probably 20 plus years. And I believe that if there is an effort to toward these inactive ingredients allergies, we can solve that problem as well. I mean, you all know most manufacturers now are not using latex materials for IV bags, ports, for example, that can cause allergies or latex gloves. So I think it is kind of the similar type of push we need to make to try to ensure that the information is readily available and try to remove as much allergens from medications as possible. This was a really great discussion. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Rosemary and Rita for joining us today to discuss the challenges with safe medication management for patients with medication excipient allergies and intolerances. If you haven't before, I encourage you to check out all of ASHP's medication safety resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings such as the Patient Safety Resource Center, patient education resources through safemedication.com, and exchange ideas and ask questions with your peers on the ASHP Medication Safety Connect community. Thanks again for tuning in for this episode of ASHP's podcast on medication safety, and be sure to subscribe to the official ASHP podcast for more on medication safety and other practice topics important to the pharmacy workforce. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.